Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here, riding solo today actually to talk with you about all things rent vesting. If you've been a long-term listener of the show, you will know that I'm a very passionate rent vester. And if you've never heard the term rent vesting or rent vester, it means you rent where you want to live and you invest where you can afford to invest and where the money stacks up. The most common question I get, and I think even the podcast really gets, is around what should I do? Should I buy a home to live in or should I buy an investment as my first home? We're going to break it down in a lot of depth and I want to talk through some of the dilemmas that I have faced and I have heard others facing in the process of being a rent vester, particularly in this very difficult rental market we find ourselves in, in all major capital cities around Australia at the time of recording, which is August 2023. So strap yourselves in, get ready to deep dive into rent vesting if you're considering it, or maybe you are a rent vester and you're wondering what your next options are, this is the episode for you. So first things first on today's episode, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you tuning in and we release an episode every single week, John and I. Usually it's John and I together or sometimes it's just us individually interviewing someone else or sometimes like today, it's just one of us having a grand old chat about a particular topic. If you have any suggestions for topics, always feel free to write in and let us know what you want to learn about. Uh, But if you're brand new, maybe have a look back through. There's, I think, like maybe four or five years worth of content sitting there in the form of the podcast every week. So plenty of learning to be done. Let's dive into it. I think a good starting point for this episode is actually to explain what a rent vester or rent vesting is, and also to give you a little bit of a picture of my own personal journey with rent vesting. I think the concept of rent vesting is certainly in the millennial wave and the millennial mindset of how we go about doing things. We break the standard of what the norm typically is or was and we find different avenues to make social norms sort of work for us and make them not so much a social norm. So I was reading some data, I just did a little Google, truth be told, and I'm sitting in front of my computer There was some data released by the ABS, the Bureau of Statistics, that around 15% of private tenants in Australia are rent vesters. So look, it's actually a pretty significant number when you think about Australia as a whole. What it means to be a rent vester, as I alluded to in the intro, is you rent where your lifestyle is and where it makes sense to rent and you invest elsewhere where the money stacks up. Now, an extension of that which I have personally learned over time, is that the best rent vesters, borderless investors. What does that mean? It effectively means 
you take Australia as the property market. You don't just invest in your backyard where you know or where you grew up or where someone else has bought. You look at Australia as an entire possibility of where you could buy and you pick the suburb that makes the most sense for your personal financial goals. Now, that could be for cash flow. It could be for capital growth. It could be a bit of both to break even on the rental income versus the outgoings and have a good yield in the property. It could be an array of things, but basically you go in with a strategy of what you want to achieve and then you research the suburbs and then you buy the property that makes sense within those suburbs. Now that in itself is actually quite a difficult thing to do because, you know, for example, if you're based in Brisbane and you're thinking that maybe Perth's a good place to invest or Adelaide, you're physically not there. How do you go about it? As a side note, I would certainly suggest at the very least looking into a buyer's agent or a buyer's advocate who can hold your hand through the process if they can't necessarily physically do it for you or maybe you don't want to attribute the funds to a full service. But I must say, like even myself, and many people don't realise this, myself as a buyer's advocate in Melbourne buying people their owner-occupied property, as a rent vester. I engage the services of another buyer's agency to go and buy my investment properties because I know my market very, very well inside and out. But do I know what's happening in Rockhampton in Queensland? Absolutely not. Nor do I have the time or resources to educate myself enough to buy the best possible property. So this isn't a plug to say, go out and use a buyer's agent by any means. I'm just trying to illustrate the reasons why someone might consider it because uh, it can really fast track your investment journey and it can take away the complexity of not being in the area physically that you want to invest in. So rent vesting is this concept that's come a long way. Even in previous conversations I've had with John on the podcast, he was a rent vester for a period of time and uh, he often refers to that period of his of his life when he was a bit more free in terms of you no know, commitments, in terms of you know, he now has three beautiful children, uh, he's got schooling in the mix, he's got his own personal family home now that they've been uh, building and they've got a pool and all sorts of things going on, which is super exciting. But the period in, in his life in which he was a rent investor was one that um, location or the idea of being changed in his location wasn't too much of a concern. And I guess that's where I am and it might be where you are for context. And this isn't meant to be a story about all about me, but it's more just a reference point for you as a listener. I am a single female, recently 30, I hate to admit that, but yes, recently 30, millennial, renting in a beachside suburb of Melbourne, Elwood, shout out to anyone listening from Elwood or surrounds. And I have made the decision to buy some investment properties elsewhere. Now, the most common question that pops up outside of should I do option A or B being buy my own home first or buy my investment properties, my first purchase, the the most common question outside of that is around how do I know if it makes sense to be a rent vester in terms of the numbers and things stacking up? And the only way to truly know that is to have a good handle on the market in which you want to live in, so the suburbs that you want to live in. Let's say you want to live in Bondi. I love Bondi. I think Bondi is awesome. It's extremely expensive, but what a suburb. And in terms of how you'd go about the research of identifying whether you're better to be a renter in the suburb or a purchaser in the suburb, it's quite easy. 
what you would do is go through the sold listings in the last three months on realestate.com or domain and have a look at the sold results for properties that you would want to buy. So, you know, bed, bath, uh, either floor size, if it's an apartment or land size, if you're buying a house and have a look at the sold results of what those properties are selling for. First of all, A, is that attainable? Like, do you have pre-approval that warrants a purchase price similar to these sold results? And B, is this going to be a property that serves your needs for a period of time? You know, you want to be holding property, most people, at least for a minimum of five years for it to make sense, particularly uh, around stamp duty and cost to acquire and also just longevity of that property in the market. So does that make sense? Or on the flip side, changing your filters to the rental market in Bondi for the same, you know, sort of parameters. And you might take something that's maybe in a good location, but a little bit shabby around the edges and you can make it look nice and neat with your own furniture. What does that look like on a weekly basis? And the key here is the difference between what the mortgage repayments plus outgoings, so things like rates and water and all that fun stuff would be on the property when you buy it versus what the weekly rent would be if you were to rent it. Now, in many suburbs, particularly inner city suburbs or desirable suburbs in Australia, there is a big discrepancy between those figures, particularly considering the interest rates at the moment and all the rate rises we have been through. So this is just pulling numbers out of thin air, but hypothetically, it might be that a mortgage on a property in Bondi that's a three bed, one bath, one car on, you know, let's call it 200 square metres of land. I know the properties aren't huge there. That might cost you in a mortgage repayment, maybe $1,500 a week. Now, that's not a small amount of money. And I don't even know if that's correct, but we're going hypothetical here. $1,500 a week versus a similar property uh, on the rental market uh, might cost you around $1,000 a week. Now, these are big rents. You might be looking at, you know, young professional couple who have a child in the mix and they have a good, healthy household income. But that $500 extra per week, $2,000 a month, plus the costs and repairs and maintenance of the property. Because remember, one of the beauties of being a renter, in my opinion, and it's kind of funny because I'm also a landlord, but when I'm a renter and I put my rent tenant hat on, the beauty is if something is broken, if something happens with the house, something doesn't work, I simply put in a maintenance request to the landlord to go and fix it. So there's certainly a beauty in being a tenant provided your property is managed well with a responsive property manager that if you have an issue with a property, you put a maintenance request in, it gets put to the landlord and it ultimately should get fixed. I know that doesn't happen for everybody and I know I've heard horror stories. TikTok is full of them, but generally speaking, that's how it works. When you own a property, there's no one you can submit a maintenance request to. You can't say, hey, the hot water system's burst. Can someone come, please come and fix this and pay for it? No, unfortunately, that's off your own bat and you have to be able to have funds. And I can't stress this enough. And I know this conversation, one side of conversation is going in all different directions, but you must, absolutely must have buffers in place when you buy a property, because I can guarantee you in the first three months, you will find teething issues or things that need attention that the previous owner did not attend to, or maybe it got towards the point of sale when they couldn't be bothered putting the money in to fix that you will need to fix, particularly on older properties. And unfortunately, as an owner of a property, you will need to fix those. 
Now, on the flip side of that as well, being a landlord or being an investor, it would be negligent of you not to have a buffer in place for maintenance requests that come through from your tenant. So there's pros and cons for both sides of the fence. And I know that the rental market in Australia is absolutely nuts right now. And it's actually seen quite a few people who are rent vesters start switching to wanting to be a home owner. And of course, that comes with a lot of security in owning your own home. You know where you are, you're not getting booted out, you're not getting a rental increase every 12 months, you're not having the uncertainty of, you know, can my landlord actually hold this property or is it going to get sold from underneath me because it's become a bit too much? And an interesting trend that we are seeing in the market at the moment here in Melbourne, and I'm sure this is echoed through other states and territories across Australia, a number of purchases that were made in 2021, specifically 2021, are coming up for sale again. And a majority of them, unfortunately, and quite sadly, when you think about the impact on those individuals, are actually selling for less than what they were bought for. Because we all know the market had an extremely good pace to it in 2021. It pulled back a little bit in 2022, certainly dipped. And we believe the bottom was February of 2023 of this year. And now we're on the increase. But the increase that we're seeing right now, month on month since March, and we're now in August. So for the past, what are we, five months, has not by any means scratch the surface of where the market really peaked in 2021. So when you think about it, selling at a loss, not only on price, but also on the fact of your cost to acquire, you know, stamp duty, if there was that, and then also parting with the uh, agent's commission, as well as conveyancing fees, compliance, all those sorts of things. There are some people who are really hurting right now. And if that's you, I really do feel for you because the market did have quite a pep in its step, let's say, in 2021. And some people did get on the bandwagon of buying investment properties without sort of factoring in the rate rises or the enormity of the rate rises that we were yet to see at the time and are now finding themselves in a very tricky position. So as a side note to my side note, if you do see a property listed on realestate.com or domain this year, you know, in this spring selling season in 2023, and the last sold result was 2021. And the quote range is below what the person paid for it back in 2021. Don't be nervous. It's actually quite typical. And there's, I mean, obviously do your own research on each individual property, but there's a high chance that person needs to offload that property. A quick settlement's going to be attractive. And, uh, you know, it, there may not be something actually wrong with it in terms of the physical property itself. It may just be circumstantial that this person can no longer afford the repayments of the investment or the home. Maybe the rental income is nowhere near scratching the surface of what it needs to in terms of covering the mortgage that they've taken out. And so offloading it is the best option. So we've taken a few sideways steps. Let's get back on track on what the topic was, which is around rent vesting, should you, shouldn't you? Because the phone call both John and I get and certainly the questions that come into the podcast is, how do I know if I should buy an investment in my first property or I should buy my own home as my first property? Now, I gave you that example of sorting out what properties are to buy in the area that you want to be in versus what they are to rent. That's a very simple, quite logical one. If you're someone who's kind of like, well, 
you know, the area doesn't matter too much to me. I'm pretty flexible on the area. I work from home. Maybe that's more of a factor of your environment at home because you spend a lot of time there and you could be quite easygoing and you want to buy the first property as your first home to live in because of the benefits of stamp duty concessions and any grants that you can uh, apply for in your relative state. And you're willing to almost, for lack of a better phrase, suck it up for a year and live there for 12 months and then flip it to an investment. It's a really common concept that people come to us with. And what I would query is, unless you're prepared to live anywhere in Australia, literally anywhere in Australia for that to work, I don't know that that's the best method because if you are location bound, it is probably luck of the draw if the area that you decide to buy in and live in for 12 months is the best area to put your money into. Now, long-term listeners will know I am an owner-occupied buyer's advocate. I'm not an investment specialist. That is very much John's domain. I am focused more on withdrawing emotion from property purchases and getting the best property possible in a said area whereas John looks at data, numbers, trends across Australia and highlights the best areas for people to invest in. So that's very much his domain. And if you're thinking about buying an investment property, go and hit him up. A lot of people don't know. His company is Envisage Property. And so a lot of people know the Solvair Wealth side of his business, but Envisage Property is specific to buyer's agents. And that's like that's who you'd go to for an investment property. But with my knowledge of being an owner-occupier and dealing with a lot of people that come to us questioning whether they should buy their owner-occupier or buy an investment property first, you would be surprised how many people I talk out of buying, well, not talk out of, suggest, I should say, that they consider rent vesting as a strategy. Now, one of the biggest things that comes into deciding if rent vesting is for you is your risk appetite of knowing that the property you rent could be sold or it could have a rental increase and there's a level of uncertainty when you are a renter. That is kind of out of your control and kind of out of your hands. If you're happy to move around and you're okay with the uncertainty of maybe only being somewhere for 12 months at best and having to then relocate or find something else and that's totally cool, you're used to doing that, then I do think that's a tick box that rent vesting is for you. That's been my life since eight, since the age of 18. So 12 years now, I have been a tenant, a renter. And for the past seven years, I've been a rent vester. And it's just part of it. Like for someone like myself, and maybe you're similar, you actually like the change. You like different environments. You're happy to move it up every, or change it up every 12 months For other people, and I must say this is more of a trend with families who have children, the idea of being in a rental property does not appeal to them because it doesn't provide stability for their kids. It doesn't provide certainty in where they're going to be and it's just simply not on the cards. They want to put their roots down somewhere, buy a home, a family home or even a stepping stone property to get into the market and secure their location And they will do that even if it means their money could be better spent in a rent vesting strategy because the security piece means more to them. I'm going to take a quick break and come back on this train of thought around why rent vesting may or may not work for you. 
while the break's on, if you haven't already joined the My Millennial Money Facebook group, maybe type it into your Facebook search bar as you're listening to the little break and I'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So just to try and bring all these, I feel like random points together. It's so weird recording a podcast by yourself, I must say. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone listening is a podcaster themselves, but talking to yourself for a period of time about a topic and not having John to bounce it off is a strange experience. We have done it a few times before, but I must say recording in person, nothing beats recording in person with John. And I'm actually traveling to the Central Coast to go and spend a few days with him to nut out a whole lot of episodes. So this is your time to submit your questions, should you have any, to the podcast via email or on the Facebook group. Please do that. But continuing on the train of thought and trying to bring all this together for you so it makes some sense Let's go through some high-level tick box items that would put you in camp rent vester versus camp owner-occupier. So item number one would be, do you feel comfortable with change and the possibility of having to move every 12 months? Because that's actually a potential reality of being a rent vester. So if you answer yes to that question... You can go in the rent vester category, one point to rent vester. If you answer no to that question, that's one point to being an owner occupier. The next question is, do you need to be in a specific location for your lifestyle, work, job, family? If the answer to that question is yes, it actually kind of is a tick box for both because yes, means being a rent vester, you can choose where you want to live and it might be in the form of a rental property. If it's yes in a vote for owner-occupier, but you cannot afford what you want to live in, in terms of purchase price versus the mortgage that you can take out, then you actually might end up putting yourself a point for rent vesting. If it's that it's a yes and you can afford to buy where you want to live, then it's obviously a tick for owner occupier. The next point that you would consider a yes or no to would be 
do you have the funds? I mean, it kind of goes as a secondary question to the previous one. Do you have borrowing capacity to land the location that you would like to ultimately reside in? If the answer is no, that's a very easy one, straight to the rent vester box. If it is a yes, then more point and case for being an owner-occupier. The next question would be, do I want to be a landlord? And I actually think a lot of people don't consider this enough. Being a landlord means that you actually take on a different type of responsibility to being a homeowner. Obviously, you both own properties, but one's a homeowner versus a landlord or an investor. With being a, a landlord, there is some uncertainty in the mix. You know, As the tenant's living at the property, are there issues that arise that you need to put money into? Can you navigate holding a mortgage in a very turbulent interest rate environment? Maybe that's just not for you because you're actually having to put in X amount per week to cover the gap between the rent in the rental income and the mortgage repayments and that compromises your lifestyle too much. So that's just not for you. Or maybe ethically you are, you know, keeping your rent in line with market rate, as you probably should, and it's still not enough to cover the mortgage or to cover what you need it to cover and that gives you anxiety or that gives you stress and it's just really not for you. People don't consider that enough and I think it's one of the undoings of a lot of rent vesters is they think it's easy, they think they can do it at low risk. But investing of any sort, as I'm sure you've come to know from listening to plenty of podcasts across the My, My Millennial Network, investing comes with risk. And the only way to really reduce the risk when you are a rent vester is to be buying in the best possible area for low vacancy rates with good tenants, good ideally long-term tenants and in an area that is going to see capital growth so you can have the opportunity to grow equity in that property and potentially springboard you into your next purchase, whether that be another investment property or uh, your owner-occupied property. So to circle back on that, the question was, do I actually want to be or have what it takes to be a landlord Yes is a vote for rent vester. No is even more case in point for being an owner-occupier. The next question, which is not so much a yes or no question, it's more to get you thinking about what does my life look like over the next three to five years? Because if you're going to go and buy a property to live in or even to invest in, really it's applicable to both, you probably need to have some sort of idea and I appreciate life doesn't always go to plan and maybe some people don't even have plans. Uh, for some, it's more obvious than others. For example, there might be a young couple who are trying to have a family and uh, in, in an ideal world, they would have some little ones on the way in the next three to five years and so therefore accommodation for those children is really important, stability is important and school zone might even come into that as well. And so that will probably put you more into the only occupied box than rent vesting. For others, it might be that they're a bit of a digital nomad, for example. Uh, maybe they are working and traveling overseas for a period of time. They want to buy an investment property in Australia and have it as a base to come back to should they need it. Uh, and that's a, actually a really good strategy. It can be great because 
you have your money working for you while you're off traveling and doing what you do, but you've got an investment property here and it could be a home. And in that case, there is an element of asking yourself the question, could I see myself living in this property? And I say that with caution because what we don't want is investors to get too emotionally attached to a property to the point that they exclude options based off minute things like color scheme or uh, things that are more about owner-occupier than investor mindset. But it can be great to have a property as a base while you go about and do your career thing, come back and it's still there waiting for you. But look, I think if you are a true rent investor and you are simply focusing on the numbers, as I mentioned at the very start of this episode, you must have a borderless investor mindset. And that means you purchase where the numbers stack up and you rent where your lifestyle makes sense and where it ultimately is the right place for you to rent. Now, I just want to touch on the idea of being a borderless investor and what that actually means in theory. So, and it might help just, I guess, referencing my own story of how I I think progressed and almost graduated from um, one investment property to another. The first investment property that I bought was a fluke that it did well. And I say that because I was doing it on my own. I was doing all my own research. Every Saturday, I, dr- I was driving out to different parts of Melbourne to suss out where could the supply and demand issues be? Where could I get some good rental yield? And where can I buy where I can actually afford? Because to be honest, I had a pretty low budget at the time. It was, I put a circle around 350000 which in some areas of Australia is a great budget, but in Melbourne, it doesn't get you very far. So I had around $350,000 to spend. And if I was looking in my own backyard in, at the time I was living in St Kilda East, it would equal a one bedroom apartment, sort of at best really. And it didn't have great yield. But the further out I went, the more it started to equal houses. And so every Saturday I was going out and I became well acquainted with the agents. Long story short, ended up getting my own off-market property I bought in Melton South, a three-bed, two-bath, two-car, freestanding property on like, actually, I think the land's like 400 square metres. So nothing amazing, but certainly um, better than like a little unit as such. And I paid $335,000 for it. It's currently rented for $360 per week. Uh, this is seven years later. Uh, the rent hasn't changed that much, but the growth is there. So it's been valued at $520,000 seven years later, which I'm pretty happy with. And the area is set to continue in an upwards direction with growth. They've got a new hospital going in, a new primary school, a sporting field. Basically, when I bought, it was... Uh, surrounded by empty paddocks, which I actually wouldn't really advise doing again because you just don't know how a suburb's going to turn out. If I had my time again, it's not that I regret buying the property, but now that I know what I know, I would have bought differently. But going into my investment property number two, which I bought in 2020, I had a much better mindset of being a rent vester and I outsourced the entire process to another buyer's agent to buy the property for me. I've never stepped foot in property number two or property number three. I have seen videos. I have seen photos. I know geographically where they are on a map. But the biggest thing I looked at was do the numbers stack up? And they well and truly stacked up. And they're areas that I would never have even known to look at. Like you look at Australia on a map, 
it is huge. Where do you even start beyond, you know, looking at capital cities where for most people their budgets equal an apartment? Where do you then go? East, west, north? Are there subsidies in the area? Are there areas that are having money pumped into them? I did not have the time to research all this stuff. And to be honest with you, I wasn't overly interested because it didn't play into my professional world as well. Like, you know, my professional world in property is getting people into their own home. So I had very little interest in understanding the infrastructure that's set to be occurring in Queensland, for example. It's not that I don't care. It's just that it's information that's only relevant at one point in time and it's not information that's relevant beyond the actual purchase itself. So nice to know about, but that's pretty much all it was at the time. So I bought property number two in a suburb just outside of Rockhampton. That purchase price was around 400000 and that property rents for 480 a week, I believe. We just got new tenants in it with a great property manager. And then property number three in Harvey Bay that I bought in 2021. And that was a bigger purchase of 515,000 and it rents for 570 per week. It's a freestanding four bedroom house on like 800 square meters of land. And honestly, I would never have known about Rockhampton or Harvey Bay as areas to buy in had I not invested in a buyer's agent. And like I said, this isn't a plug for, you know, go and use a buyer's agent for your investment property. If you have the time and resources to do it yourself and that sort of stuff really interests you and you love looking at the maps and looking at the data and doing spreadsheets, like you could probably do it yourself. The only thing that might limit you is I wouldn't rely on an agent to to do a video walkthrough for you. I would get an independent person. So maybe you're building a pest inspector, maybe you have a family member there on the ground, or maybe you do jump on a plane or in the car and go and check the property out yourself. But outside of that, gathering the data, doing the research, if it's something that you really enjoy and that's your sort of personality type, then absolutely go for it. Because there are so many resources online to help you ascertain rental yield, projected growth, sold results, vacancy rates, all the things that you would need to know is actually fairly available to you and you probably could do it yourself. No reason why you couldn't. So look, in summary, and I appreciate that this this one-sided conversation has gone in all different directions. In summary, if you are to be a rent vester, you really need to have a certain mindset, which includes being a borderless investor to get the best return, but also being okay with the fact that you may need to move every 12 months. On the flip side, being an owner-occupier and potentially doing that as your first property to live in. One thing I would say to you is please don't just chase the grants. So the grants or the concessions around stamp duty or any government incentive for low deposit or um, even, you know, 10, 20K grants, they do sound good on the way in, but just make sure that it stacks up on the way out. What I mean by that is on the way in, reducing the amount of cash you have to put into a property purchase is obviously ideal. However, if that purchase price is capped and in Victoria, you don't pay any stamp duty up to 600000 there are not many amazing properties under 600,000. They are compromised to some degree, whether they are an apartment, whether you are much further out of Melbourne, like I'm talking, you know, 40, 50 Ks out for a house on land at that purchase price. There is an element of compromise. So does that hinder you on the way out? When I say the way out, I mean, when you go to sell the property, 
and I say that in relation to people who have a borrowing capacity that is higher than 600,000. A lot of people come to us, oh, you know, the bank said we could borrow up to like 850K, but we only want to spend 600 because we don't have to pay stamp duty. Now, obviously seek your own financial advice for your personal circumstances, but paying no stamp duty, in my opinion, should not be the reason that you cap your purchase price to 600,000 because I can guarantee you even at 700,000 or 750, you're going to get a much better quality property, probably in the same area, but a much better quality property and asset that will grow over time than compromising yourself on your, or restricting yourself, I should say, on your purchase price on the way in because it might hurt you on the way out. I hope that this has given you some food for thought for those of you pondering whether you should rent vest or not or what it's all about. I do think the rental market in Australia is pushing more people to home ownership. And given my role in being a home buyer advocate, I'm all for that. However, there is a place for rent vesters in this market. And there certainly are personal circumstances where it makes sense to be a rent vester and not an owner occupier. On a personal note, I've started considering whether I do go and buy my own home. I've had a rental increase, not huge, but it has been an increase that was issued to me a couple of weeks back. And I'm also looking at how much rent I am spending and wondering what that looks like in the form of a mortgage. Could I see myself living further out from the CBD could I consider other areas of Melbourne to live in? And, you know, do I actually want to be a homeowner? Because if you have a personality type like me, you might like a lot of change. And that's probably my biggest concern is I actually really love changing area every one to two years and seeing what it's like in a new space and environment. It keeps me excited and it keeps me going. So I'm a bit nervous to be a homeowner. And for some people I speak to, that's their exact reasoning why they don't want to be a homeowner because it's so costly to change your environment every time if you were to buy a property each time you moved. Whereas the other people on the other side of the fence are very much about that security piece. Maybe they even came from a family home that, you know, mum and dad had for 20 odd years and you're so used to being in one place for an extended period of time and you find comfort in that but also just generally you want to be a homeowner and that's awesome. Like, gosh, being a homeowner or being a rent vester, the fact that you're even considering buying property, people kind of just bypass that fact and don't acknowledge that going forward to buy a property is a big deal in itself and you should be super proud of that. And I'm very passionate. I know I often bring it up with John and he's like, oh, you're going all soppy. But no, it actually is a huge milestone. So a pat on the back to you for being in that position. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and taken away a few things to consider at the very, very least. If you have any follow-up questions or feedback, feel free to put them in the Facebook group and just tag me. I will have a look or follow me on Instagram or TikTok. I can't believe I'm on TikTok these days, but my goodness, it's uh, certainly, a, it feels like a cowboy environment on TikTok, but it's a bit of fun. Certainly some educational videos on there to learn from as well. So until next time, I think next episode, I will be on board with John. We'll be recording in person on the Central Coast. I'm going to go visit his office. How exciting. I will report back how that goes. But until then, have a great week ahead and we'll be back next week. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.